The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America listeners, welcome to the 103rd ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www.iirsports.com. As always, I will give you my highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items from this past week, as well as the event of the week that I attended. Also, in about 20 minutes, we will be joined by our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. Well, busy time of year, but my highlight of the week is uh, LeBron's game winner the other night in Game 1 against the Indiana Pacers. It was just a fabulous start to uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals, and LeBron had 2.2 seconds at the end of the game and uh, took that inbounds pass. It was amazing. Uh, Paul George tried to uh, deflect the pass, ended up costing him because he was out of position. LeBron went right around him for an easy left-handed layup, so... It's LeBron's second-ever postseason game winner, uh, buzzer beater, shall we say. But impressive, to say the least. He had a triple-double, and the legend of LeBron uh, grows. And also in that game, speaking of Paul George, it looks like uh, we may have begun to see the beginnings of a legend. Uh, We've been hearing about him for last year or two, but what he did... uh, at the end of that game, uh, the defensive mistake against LeBron, notwithstanding, was just amazing. And by that, I mean he hit a three-pointer from international waters at the buzzer to send the game into overtime. Amazing shot. And then right before LeBron's uh, game winner, he sunk three highly, highly pressurized free throws to for what, uh, what was a one-point lead and what appeared to be a victory. But again, they left 2.2 seconds. Too much time for the Heat, and particularly LeBron. But just a great game, and Paul George uh, 
in my mind, burst onto the American sports scene once and for all. I mean, what he did was just uh, remarkable. And as far as his defensive uh, work on LeBron, I mean, he just worked, you know, defended him all night long, which just has to wear out anybody. And, you know, so he went for it at the end of uh, overtime and didn't work out. But uh, on the offensive side, he was just nothing short of remarkable. And uh, so that's shaping up to be a good series. Game two tonight from Miami and should be great theater. So uh, uh, on the flip side of uh, the NBA, Western Conference, Spurs have a 2-0 lead. Uh, Grizzlies face them in Memphis tomorrow night. So uh, it's pretty much a must-win game. For the Grizzlies, who have shown a lot of resiliency, so I look for them to uh, show up tomorrow night. My low light of the week is the Boston Bruins literally falling all over themselves last night and giving the New York Rangers life. Uh, Bruins, of course, had a 3-0 lead in the series, looking to close them out in Madison Square Garden. Uh, had a lead of 2-0, and then they basically fell apart. Uh, Tukaras fell down, the goalie for the Bruins, and easy goal for the Rangers. Then Zdeno Chara got his pocket picked right at the goal. Another easy goal. Next thing you know, it's Bruins bounce back to their credit. Tyler Sagan gets his first goal of the postseason. Go up 3-2, and you're still thinking this is it. They're going to close them out. Madison Square Garden basically was, you know, for the most part dead until, uh, you know, the the Rangers got those gift goals. And then uh, Brian Boyle from Boston College tied it and then uh, went into overtime and the Rangers, to their credit, won. So as their coach, John Tortorella, said in a very entertaining press conference, as they all are after the game, uh, they're breathing. Up here in Boston, uh, a city that is now becoming somewhat uh, expert, shall we say, on uh, 3-0 leads, both good and bad, in series and what that can mean, dating back to the 0-4 Red Sox. Of course, the Bruins lost a 3-0 lead to the Flyers a few years back. And then... Uh, swept the Flyers the following year en route to the Stanley Cup. Let's just say with tomorrow's game at 5.30 p.m. Eastern here in Boston, this is one nervous city. Uh, I think the biggest fear is that, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, all-world goalie for the Rangers, uh, you know, they may have awakened a sleeping giant. You know, they again, this that series was over with the 2 nothing lead in Madison Square Garden last night, and, uh, geez, sure didn't work out that way. So, again, uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch tomorrow night. People are feel It's being treated up here in Boston like a Game 7, as in must win. If they lose, obviously, back to New York for Game 6, then Game 7, who knows. But, speaking of Game 7, ever since they pulled that on. Believable comeback against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They were just absolutely on fire and running up the 3-0 lead against the Rangers. But it just all fell apart, literally, last night. So, uh, should be fun. My bizarre story of the week is, yet again, second week in a row, the Tiger-Sergio feud resurfacing. 
uh, Sergio made some uh, very bad comments and instantly apologized after going back and forth with Tiger and basically being aggressive in his statements with Tiger going back to the Players' Championship a couple weeks ago. But then he made a fried chicken reference, apologized profusely in every way possible, apparently, trying to reach Tiger by cell, his representatives, in news conferences, all of it. Uh, so, interesting to watch how that goes as we head to the uh, U.S. Open in a couple weeks down at Marion uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, you don't see a lot of golf fights, so this is uh, this is pretty interesting to watch. It's uh, not something we're used to, and uh, now as Tiger finally looks to win another major after about five years, and with this brewing sort of in the background, uh, I'd say the U.S. Open in Marion is shaping up to be uh, quite the event in just a few weeks. Well, my event of the week that I attended was the NFL Spring Owners Meeting right here in Boston, which was fabulous for me, and uh, I've been to a few NFL owners meetings. They're always great. And the highlight of this one, of course, was the uh, naming of the cities that were awarded Super Bowls 50 and 51. San Francisco, the Bay Area, their new stadium in Santa Clara, the 49ers, got Super Bowl 50 in 2016. Then Houston got... Uh, Super Bowl 51 in 2017. It was interesting because it was San Francisco versus Miami for Super Bowl 50. San Francisco gets it. Miami automatically then is going against Houston for Super Bowl 51, having all the cities, of course, had put in bids. And then they lost that too. So I have a number of sound bites to play, which basically are starting off with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and then... Uh, the 49ers, the Oilers, or the Oilers, yes, the Texans, and uh, Miami, all to be heard from after that, as well as Bob Kraft, so from the Patriots. So let's start off with Roger Goodell uh, and his news conference immediately at the conclusion of the NFL Spring Owners Meetings. Obviously, with the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 50 and 51. Uh, you all know the results of that. We're thrilled to be coming back to uh, San Francisco and, and to Houston. Uh, they have put together terrific bids. They reflect great cities and great stadiums, and uh, we're proud to be coming back there. We also had a number of business issues. Uh, I think you've also gotten a report on uh, our new Microsoft agreement, which we're, again, excited about bringing a great technology company into the NFL. Uh, working with us to try to make the experience better for our fans, uh, make it better for our coaches, players. Uh, we think it's going to impact the quality of our game. So we're excited about that agreement. Uh, we did a number of stadium matters. Uh, we approved the stadium, new stadium in Atlanta and our funding for that. Uh, renovations in Carolina and Philadelphia, off the top of my head. Uh, so we had a, a productive day on that front and spent a great deal of time talking about the stadium experience which we have been very upfront that we want to improve that experience and make it better for our fans. That starts with an investment in making sure we have great stadiums, but it also talks about making sure our, our fans are safe when they come into our stadium. 
Uh, it also goes to the point of trying to provide technology in the stadium and making sure we're doing every, everything to make it a terrific experience for our fans. So those are some of the key issues. I'm happy to take your question. So that was NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell speaking immediately following uh, the end of the NFL spring owners meetings here in Boston Tuesday of this week. And uh, one of the cool things about these owners meetings, and I've covered a few of them, is when a team is awarded a Super Bowl, a city. So I was in Dallas a couple years ago when New York got it. Uh, of course, that'll be played this uh, this February uh, first. Northern open air Super Bowl ever, so that's going to be fascinating, and I'll never forget the emotion of the New York uh, contingent down in Dallas a couple years ago. Well, we had a repeat of that, and to see these team executives and city officials and Super Bowl bid committee chair people, the raw emotion immediately following the owner's awarding their, their city that Super Bowl is really the next best thing to seeing, you know, uh, seeing a team win a championship. The, the emotion is real, it's raw, it's immediate. And here is Jed York of the San Francisco 49ers moments after his city and team were awarded the 2016 Super Bowl 50. Extremely excited. Um, there's been a lot of work that's gone into this bid, head up by Daniel Lurie, um, you know, on behalf of my family, uh, on behalf of the team, you know, we are just so excited to be able to put on, you know, the Golden Super Bowl in the Golden State for, I think, the greatest fans in the greatest community in the world. And uh, I want to turn it over to Daniel Lurie so he can say a few words. Jed, thank you. Dr. York, thank you. Gideon, thank you. Uh, this has been an honor and uh, a privilege to work on this effort over the past nine months. And uh, Jed and Mayor Lee and Mayor Matthews and Mayor Reed, uh, we've pulled together as a community to put our best foot forward. Uh, we had everybody going in the right direction and in the same direction. And for us, uh, this is a huge moment. The Bay Area is extraordinarily excited. Our phones, our phones are blowing up, uh, and uh, we're excited to show all of you what the Bay Area has to offer in 2016 for Super Bowl 50 at Levi's Stadium. Thank you. We have any questions? Yeah. When did you know you had the right bid? I mean, as a guy who's been on the other side, when did well, that was Jed York of the San Francisco 49ers and Daniel Laurie, who headed up the bid. Uh, I think it's going to be a terrific Super Bowl out in San Francisco, Super Bowl 50, hard to believe. And Dr. John York of the 49ers, uh, truly a friend of the show, who has been a guest here on All Around Sports, and who with whom uh, he took me around Gillette Stadium before the 49ers Patriots game this past December, probably the game of the year in the NFL, as he uh, gave out 49ers memorabilia as well as field passes for people, 49er fans, in Gillette Stadium, Patriots Stadium, to come down on the field uh, before the game. And it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, time going around with Dr. York. He does this at all 49er games, away games, and uh, he's just uh, just a terrific guy. So here was Dr. York's uh, perspective on San Francisco being awarded the Super Bowl, the Bay Area. 
if this Super Bowl can show uh, the state of California and other communities the opportunity with the new stadium that can bring in the fans, the business, and all that we expect at this Super Bowl, that that will be a catalyst that uh, um, stadiums can be built for Oakland and for San Diego, um, both in needs of, of the new stadium. And this may be the impetus to get some of those things done. Well, great to hear Dr. York's uh, global California perspective on what it means for the Bay Area hosting Super Bowl 50. Again, Dr. York, friend of the show and truly uh, one of the finest gentlemen I've met and one of my favorite owners. And speaking of another true gentleman, very likable likable fellow like Dr. York. Here's Bob McNair, owner of the Houston Texans, talking about uh, his city getting Super Bowl 51 in 2017. Delighted that Houston's going to be able to host Super Bowl again. We were the host in 2004, and uh, the city uh, really loved hosting the NFL, and I think those of you who were there had a good time, and uh, we're going to see that you have a good time again in 2017. Uh, this year, or, or this event, not this year, but in 2017, we're in a much better position uh, to host the Super Bowl than we were then because we now have Discovery Green downtown, which is right in the center of town, a 12-and-a-half-acre park. And uh, the Civic Center borders on one side. The uh, Hilton America's Hotel is on one side. The, the new uh, Marriott uh, is going to be on the other side, and there's room for sponsorship activities all around the park. So you can have all of your pregame activities uh, centered right there in that park area, and we were not able to do that before. If you recall, we had a street party on Friday at night and Saturday night. In 2004, we had about 75,000 people out for each of those. But we had to close off streets and, and do a number of things. Well, here we can accommodate over 100,000 people at Discovery Green without having to close off any streets. So I think the uh, facilities are ideal for a Super Bowl. And then, of course, with Reliant Park, we've got Reliant Stadium, and everybody that plays there enjoys playing there. They like the facility. And we'll also have the tailgating experience out there in the Reliant Center so people can go in for the tailgating and just walk from there right across the street to the stadium. So the facilities are, are unsurpassed for holding this type of an event. And Houston's looking forward to it and all excited. And uh, so I, I know that uh, it'll be a very pleasurable experience for everyone. When I was down in Houston in 2004, that was the one where the Patriots beat the Carolina Panthers on an Adam Vinatieri field goal at the buzzer, uh, and it was a fabulous, fabulous time. So uh, based on what Bob McNair just said, it sounds like it's going to be even better. Great city, great complex with Reliant uh, Stadium, which is right beside uh, the famous old Astrodome, eighth wonder of the world back in the day. So that's going to be great. Good for Houston. But with every winning cities, as in Houston and San Francisco, there is a losing city. And as a backdrop, uh, there was a recent, a recent vote down in Florida. So the, the, 
The Dolphins wanted to get stadium improvements put before the voters, but it's basically died in the legislature, never got before the voters, and therefore Miami, which bid on both Super Bowls, basically did not get either, and it's all a backlash from the Miami Marlins new stadium mess. And uh, so here is... Stephen Ross, owner of the Dolphins, and Rod, followed by Rodney Barreto, uh, the Super Bowl bid committee chairman for Miami, talking about Miami not getting a Super Bowl and really pretty fascinating stuff uh, to hear the perspective of what's really going on stadium-wise down in South Florida. Super Bowl 50 or 51. Uh, I think our bid was a terrific bid. Uh, Super Bowl committee, led by Ronnie Barreto, has done a sensational job. Um, I was really proud to say, when I was watching it, and then all the bids were finished, I really thought we had a, had a chance. But, um, you know, I've been saying for a while that, you know, we need to do something with our stadiums, and I think the owner spoke, and, uh, and as I thought we might, um, though I was hoping against it. Um, but that, uh, I think that's probably the major reason we didn't win. I think everybody in that room would rather be in Miami in February than they would anywhere else in the country. Um, and I think no one knows how close the Super Bowl better than Miami. So uh, that, I'm disappointed, and I want to thank you, Robin, for the great job and time that your whole committee put into this. And uh, really sorry that we didn't uh, Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Um, like Mr. Ross, I'm very disappointed. I, I suspect that um, there's a couple, a couple of state reps down in Miami-Dade County where I live that are going to look in the mirror tonight and realize that uh, this was a huge mistake. Um, and I'm talking about Representative Baleka Trujillo, who led the effort to, to uh, stop the vote in Miami-Dade County, which was on the way, which was funded by the Dolphins. This was a, an easy task to allow the vote to continue. Uh, I believe that that vote would have, continued, would, would have happened. The stadium, uh, the voters would have passed the renovation, uh, and that the outcome today would, we would be hosting to Rule 50. There's no doubt in my mind, talking to the other couple, couple of the chairmen, we had the better bid. I could just look at the body language from the NFL staff. We had the better bid. There's no doubt. Uh, and it's a, it's a shame, but uh, you know, for that, for for but for a couple of folks down in South Florida, put us on a track. We may not see another Super Bowl for 10 years. The problem with us is we are fat and happy, and we do it so well, and everybody just expects it's going to come again. Uh, and I've been saying all along, what what other communities have figured out is what we've known along, all along is that Super Bowls are great for your community. They're great for business. They're great for hotels. They're great for restaurants. Great for your cab fares, your airports. Everybody has figured out what we've known all along. And that's why all these cities who have never competed for Super Bowls before are competing. It's all about business. And uh, again, I think there's a couple state reps down in Miami, where I live, that are going to look in the mirror tonight and going to regret what they've done to Miami. This Super Bowl ain't coming back probably for another 10 years, in my opinion. We, we may have a, we may have a, uh, a baseball uh, 
all-star game or little series before we get another Super Bowl, which is a shame. So, um, hey, am I upset? Yes, I'm upset. This is not, uh, you know, we worked hard. I want to thank the, you know, the executive committee, Nikki Grossman from Broward County, Nick, I mean, Bill Tower from Miami-Dade County, Bruce Colin, Mike D, Mike Zimmer, who's the president, Martha Linder, Matt Moore, for all their efforts. None of these people are paid. We all volunteer our time, our energy, for our community, one that we love and, and we cherish. And, the, you know, good, good business is, is bringing the, good, the great Super Bowl to your community because, you know, there's a lot of intangibles that have come along with the Super Bowl that a lot of people don't realize. And one of those intangibles is about $100 million worth of free publicity for your area. So uh, you can't just buy that. I mean, you can if you want to write a check, but we're not writing a check uh, for $100 million. We rather we rather get a great Super Bowl, have all that energy in our community, have all our hotelers, all our businesses uh, enjoying all the business that needs to be spread around. Bill. Uh, wow. Uh, I talked about raw emotion of cities, uh, the executives of cities and teams that win Super Bowls. Well, you just heard real raw emotion from a city that uh, lost in its Super Bowl bid. Uh, of course, from Rodney Barreto, the Super Bowl bid committee chairman in Miami. I've been to Super Bowls in Miami. They are spectacular. I think they're, they've had the most of any other city. And obviously there was a belief, stadium issues aside, had that been settled, that Super Bowl 50, the golden anniversary, might have ended up in Miami. But that was uh, some serious sound right there. And... Uh, They've got some big issues going on down in Miami, and it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, uh, to say the least. Uh, finally, we ended up uh, with New England Patriots owner Bob Kraft talking about uh, something that surrounds, you know, the Super Bowl uh, two-week break, shall we say. That, of course, is the Pro Bowl. It's had its ups and downs. Will it be played? Won't it be played? Competitiveness issues and whatnot. But here's what Bob Kraft had to say Tuesday in Boston about the Pro Bowl. For the fans, you know, to see, you know, it's unbelievable because we see, we know that players sometimes it's not quite the same level of competition. But if you look at the ratings, the TV ratings, I mean, for the Pro Bowl, the higher ratings than I think the finals in any other sport other than the Super Bowl. I mean, it still attracts a tremendous rating. And I personally would like to just see it part of the whole Super Bowl week in the same city and kick off the Super Bowl week celebration. And, you know, I guess for the Patriots, if we're in the Super Bowl, we wouldn't have our players playing in it. But, yeah, I think it's a great recognition, and fans still want to see it. Uh, so... So, for any of you wondering uh, about the future of the Pro Bowl, uh, I think uh, based on Bob Kraft's comments, Bob Kraft being an ultra-powerful owner in the league, of course, very influential, uh, I think it's going to be around for a while. The NFL needs to figure it out, but like all things, the NFL will figure it out. And uh, he's right, the ratings are off the charts for the Pro Bowl, you know. Uh, so, anyway... As my former co-host, Lemont Williams from Outside the Huddle, likes to say, it's time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. Next up will be A.P. Statham of Bama Magazine. 
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Football and so much more is the focus of Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson. Join the former Arizona Cardinals running back for a show that mixes, well, a little bit of everything. Damian brings to the program life experiences playing football and will talk about his variety of successes both on and off the field. The goal is to provide you with a fun perspective on life, family, success, and of course, football. Tune in to Planet Gridiron with Damian Anderson, Fridays at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Ready for in-your-face sports? Want to talk about the topics that nobody else is willing to talk about, either because they're too scared to touch them or just don't think it's the way to go? You're not going to be shy here. Tune in to Here's the Deal with Mega and Steel, featuring Ike Mega Griffin and Sydney Steel Justice. We've got the facts to back up the talk and invite you to join us every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, just before the weekend on the Voice America Sports Channel. We tell it like it is. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, Back to the show. Voice America listeners, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports, and I'm your host, John Inglesby. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it's that time of the show when we typically have guests, and on the line is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And A.P., how are you today? I'm doing very good, John. How are you? Good. Thank you, as always, for joining us. And, uh, you know, last week we were talking a lot about uh, the college uh, football playoff uh, city selection, shall we say. And uh, as our listeners just heard, and you as well, I was uh, at the NFL owners' meetings this week here in Boston, where they awarded Super Bowls 50 and 50 to 1 to. San Francisco and Houston, respectively. So, uh, why don't we just start off there? Super Bowl Fifty being played at the new Forty Nine er Stadium in Santa Clara, California, Silicon Valley, uh, and then the year after that, two thousand seventeen, will be in uh, be in Houston. What What are your thoughts as someone who has been to all these areas, obviously, in your college football travels? I'm really glad that the game is being played in the Golden State for the, the 50th anniversary, the Golden Anniversary. It'll be a brand-new stadium. It'll have all the technolo- t- technological advances of, that anyone could ever think of. 
Correct. You know, being involved with Microsoft and in San Francisco, they haven't had a Super Bowl in their area since it was at Stanford, I believe, in 1985. So right, you are. So pumped up to host that event, and it would be fabulous, I'm sure. It is. I mean, you, you know, you could see this one coming, you know, a, a mile away, uh, especially after the Dolphins uh, bid for stadium improvements died down there in South Florida. And, uh, you know, and what they had going for them was, of course, the most Super Bowls ever have been in Miami. It's a fabulous spot for a Super Bowl, needless to say. And, uh, you know, so there was a big uh, a thought that, you know, they, they would be awarded Super Bowl 50 as, you know, the, the most frequent host of previous Super Bowls. But the minute that stadium thing died, uh, I, I think it was really quite obvious that uh, San Francisco was going to get it. Um, you, you know, the owner, Dr. York, is, uh, you know, done a lot of, you know, been a very active owner, shall we say, everything from being the NFL's international committee chairperson to now he's uh, involved in the health and safety uh, committee. So I just thought it was great. He's obviously a friend of the show. He's called in a couple times as a guest. And, uh, you, you know, I think everybody's really pretty thrilled. And, and San, Fr- you know, San Francisco is just fabulous. The whole Bay Area, I think, is just going to be wonderful. And I also thought the fact that there's two teams out there, as in the Oakland Raiders as well, that to me was a just sort of an underlying subtle factor that, you know, why not bring Super Bowl 50 to, you know, one of only two areas in the country where we have two teams, the other, of course, being New York. Right. It's going to be in, in New Jersey this time around, so it's a perfect matchup to have that 50th uh, Super Bowl in California. I guess maybe the other uh, thought they had was if maybe they could bring it to the original home of the Super Bowl, Los Angeles, but there's not a team and not a property that's really worthy of bringing the game, you know, that high-profile game to, to that event, to that area. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing, and I have no inside knowledge, but, you know, unless there will not be a Super Bowl in Los Angeles unless there's a team there, period. I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming that to be the case. Um, yeah, it's really, it's just fascinating. And I was saying earlier in the show the the raw emotion, uh, you know, of these team and city executives, when they get a Super Bowl, you get to see it within moments. Uh, you know, they have a press conference and it's just ear to ear beaming. And the San Francisco contingent was just really so excited. And, uh, you know, and I found myself thinking of, uh, you know, how excited Jerry Jones must have been when he got the college, fo- the first ever college football playoff coming up in uh, 2014 or 15. Yeah, I mean, he was bound in the tournament with that, the Palace in Dallas, I call it. Or right. So even though it's in Arlington, he, he was he was determined to have that game, and he he won out. And I'm sure it'll be a great event. He hosted that one Super Bowl. They had some issues with the weather and the facility, so maybe they can iron out those kinks and things will run more smoothly for the for the college football playoff championship game. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great stuff. It's you know, the these awarding of 
these huge games, national championships, Super Bowls, is you know becoming uh, you know a bit of American Americana sports now. And you know, again, it was just being there was just again electric atmosphere here at a Boston hotel on Tuesday, and then I was in Dallas a couple of years ago when New York City got the first ever. Northeastern Open Air Stadium Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, good stuff. But anyway, back to Texas. Uh, saw some, uh, you know, updates on Johnny Manziel, the Heisman Trophy winner on ESPN last day or two on his off-season workouts, which are pretty fascinating. You know, he was working out uh, in the water on the beach out in California, I believe, speaking of California. And also throwing passes blindfolded, you know. But the whole beach thing reminded me, of course, of Rocky and Apollo Creed from <laughs> Rocky number whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, you know, talk about Americana sports or sports Americana, I should say. Johnny Menzel is certainly on track to become part of that. He's kind of a folk hero already. And I really liked what I saw with this off-season workout. Yeah, I can't imagine, John, him getting much better, but that's his goal. I mean, I was just looking at some of his numbers yesterday, 5,100 yards, total yards. That's in the, in the SEC. That, that's, that's mind-boggling. I mean, I thought I'd never see numbers like that from anyone. You know, those are good two-year numbers, John, in that league. Never mind one year. Uh, so it's incredible what he's done as a college football player and how much better he's going to be this, this coming season. He's had a chance to run that system now. Uh, Kevin Sumlin, the head coach of, of the uh, Aggies. So de- defend, you know, defensive coordinators, that must be sleepless this summer, thinking about how they're going to defend him. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's a league you know well. So when you talk about his numbers and, uh, you know, in regards to the SEC, of course, it was their first year in the SEC. It was his first year as quarterback. It's pretty interesting stuff. I mean, I found myself wondering, as I was listening to him just literally this morning, um, you know, is he a Doug Flutie? He reminds us all of Doug Flutie. So, yeah. you know, who, who, in him, who himself is a bit of a folk hero. And But I found myself listening to him thinking, like, you know, is this guy going to be like a Tom Brady i.e., you know, workaholic, so to speak, you know, just maniacal preparation, that type of thing. And, you know, given his offseason and, you know, all the attention he's gotten from NBA games to casinos to all of it, you know, you might not have thought that about this guy. In the same light, now I was listening to him thinking, you know, well, Maybe he is just an ultra-hard worker. He didn't win the Heisman Trophy as a freshman by not being. I'm not suggesting that. But is he a kind of guy like Brady who ultra-competitive and just being the best of the best of the best is like the only option for him? So I think it's just going to be fascinating to watch this guy, to say the least. You know, uh, John, he might be like a, a Joe Namath. You know, he partied right. that night. and Right, was, there you he, go. He stayed, he stayed long after practice showing to Don Maynard and George Sauer. Maybe that's his. That's the combination that uh, he reminds you you of besides the Tom Brady. That is a great, great comparison. Name of the course played at Alabama for Bear Bryant. So I know you'll know this off the top of your head. 
Game of the year already is going to be Alabama at Texas A&M. That's early on, right, September? September 14th. And, John, they've already announced the starting time at 2.30 p.m. Central on CBS. So that'll be 3.30 Eastern. Eastern. September 14th. So that's basically, you know, the second full weekend of the year. It's going to be unbelievable. I mean, that is just going to be, uh, you, you know, Appointment television, to put it mildly. Oh, yeah. that Hopefully that'll be a classic. They'll replay that game over and over on some station. Because it, the, hype, the hype before the game, it'll be all summer going on. It, it'll start pretty soon here. I mean, it's already started, really. Yeah, and, it's exactly. It's already started. You know, no the, question. You know, defending champion against the team that beat them, playing at home against the Heisman Trophy winner. I don't know what else you can ask for a you know, second game of the season. That's it. That's it. Well, at the end of the day, you know, Johnny Menzel has charisma, period. He's a guy that, you know, if he's playing, you're going to turn on the TV to watch him. It's just that simple. And, you know, good for him. I, I think, he, you know, I love, love the nickname, number one, and love having people like him on the scene. It, it elevates the whole sport. Uh, but with that said, uh, time for our break. So, uh, AP, I know you're sticking around, and we'll – Talk a little more on the other side. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Every Wednesday, you'll want to talk sports with touchdown Tony Collins and his co-host Bill Mattis. Tony's broken records and has been to the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. We'll talk about what's happening in sports every week with news, action, and notable guests from all aspects of the sports world. We'll also involve you by discussing questions and topics of interest sent in via email from listeners all over the world. Become what you believe. Tune into Sports Talk with Touchdown Tony Collins, Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, that's presented to you by Outdoor Channel. On this week's program, we'll have Gary Hamby for Deer Dirt and outdoor writer Scott Bestial, and he'll tell us how to use chainsaws for deer management. Hey, we also have another outdoor writer, David Hart and Brent Eaton with Polaris. I love Polaris. When we talk about food plots and deer management. And as always, it's brought to you by Outdoor Channel and Ram Trucks. Wednesdays at 1 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1 888 346 9144. 
That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. We're America listeners. Welcome back to the fourth, third, and final segment of All Around Sports. And I am your host, John Inglesby. And back on the line with us is our weekly call-in expert, A.P. Stedham of Bama Magazine. And welcome back, A.P. And we were talking a little about uh, college football, as we always do. And it sounds like there's some interesting things uh, coming up in next week's SEC meetings. Yeah, John. There's a discussion that will be resolved and they're thinking about adding a ninth conference game because that way you'll have a stronger strength of schedule, number one, and you'll also be able to play each team once in your college career. And plus, you'll also be able to play an extra game in the league when you have 14 teams. You'll get a better representative of the champion if you're playing all these different teams in the league. The, um, the, the, you know, the bad thing about it is you'll have a game like Alabama-Tennessee, which is held every year. Alabama plays that team in the Eastern Division. You, you wouldn't have that historic uh, uh, conference game. You know, it would happen only so many years if you're rotating all the time. You know, Auburn and Georgia, that's a big game. That's, I think that might be the oldest rivalry in the South. You wouldn't have wow. that every year. So with change comes some things that make, some people unhappy. So that those are some of the options that the SEC will be looking at. Either stay at eight games and you play the one uh, rival game, like Alabama plays Tennessee, Auburn plays Georgia, and then you rotate one team every couple of years. That's the eight-game situation. Or you go to nine and you, you just be you know playing everybody in the league uh, throughout your cycle. Huh. That's interesting stuff. Uh, I mean – Let's face it, the SEC with seven national championships in a row, you know, uh, to a degree as the SEC goes, uh, especially with votes like this, so goes the rest of the nation. And uh, so that's going to be fascinating to watch, to say the least. Yeah. A lot of teams, John, they, they prefer the eight games. Let's say, for instance, a Kentucky. That gives you four non-conference games. You could schedule, you know, four teams you, you think you might beat to get to that six games and be eligible for a bowl. Uh, you get a team like LSU, uh, they play Florida. That's who they play every year, no right. matter what. So they would get out of playing Florida every year. So there's some reasons that you'd want to stay with eight. There's some reasons you'd want to go to nine. And, but I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm thinking that they're going to, it's going to get to that nine. Interesting. Well, <clears throat> you know, for me, I mean – I grew up in, as you know, central Pennsylvania, so to me, the greatest rivalry of my lifetime, up close and personal, was Penn State-Pitt, culminating in the early 80s when they basically played their game at the end of the season, meant, uh, you know, was one of the two teams was vying for the national championship. It was always the final game of the season, late November, uh, for like three, four years running. In the early 80s, that was Marino and, you know, Todd Blackledge, you know, Penn State won their first national championship consensus under Paterno that year. Uh, you know, so just great stuff. Uh, yeah, I remember the Dorset pit team game against Penn State. So as someone who grew up 
waiting for that I mean, as the, like the highlight of the year for sports. Uh, you know, you mentioned Georgia or, or yeah, Florida and, you know, LSU, Florida. It's like, I saw LSU Florida play in the swamp many years ago, so I don't like to see games like that disappear. I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, those rivalries, John, they, that's been college football. That's had a little bit of edge over pro football through the years. Correct. And, you know, what happens now is, you know, Tennessee's been down, so it hasn't been a very competitive contest. But for many, many fans, that's that's a game that they set on their calendar. I mean, they look forward. They make plans way in advance to either be in Knoxville or Tuscaloosa. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, for me, it's just so funny you would mention that game. I mean, I had, you know, moved to Florida back in the day and, you know, from a lifetime of watching Pitt and Penn State, I get down there and my first week living there, I'm invited to go to the LSU Florida game at the Swamp. And obviously my first ever SEC game, and I was just completely blown away. I mean, you, you know, the passion. Far. It was just far more important than it was even in Pennsylvania, football in Pennsylvania. That's saying something. That is. That, that is your issue. <laughs> right. It was an, uh, and on, but I'll just never forget it. As long as I live, I later went to a, a, another game, which was Tennessee at Florida. And that was equally awesome. So I, I, I got a taste of SEC football early on and never forgot it. And there's just nothing like it. There really isn't. No, no. And it's, it's a golden age right now. And yes. I don't see it. You know, they may not win the championship the next five years, but I still see them having the t- some of the top teams in that conference because they just, it's too much of a, you know, thing that people put an emphasis on in that part of the country. And if they're not winning, they're not happy, and they're not going to stop until they get happy. Correct. Well, you know, that raises an interesting point. Uh, you know, I assume Alabama is favored to win this national this year's national championship. Is that correct? Uh, I, they're right up there. I, I would think it's them or Ohio State. Okay. Those are the teams that people have been saying that they will play in the championship game. But Alabama is probably the prohibitive favorite. Is A.J. McCarron coming back? A.J. will be back. He'll have a chance wow. to win his third championship, which will be unprecedented. Wow. And it's it's mind-boggling. In this day and age, you know, where it's so competitive, and you have to win an SEC championship game and and get through that, you know, uh, gauntlet of games in the SEC itself. So it's incredible that they were able to do that the last three out of four years. When you say unprecedented, does that mean that he would be the first college quarterback ever to win three national championships yeah, in a row? I can't think of anybody, uh, John. I can't either. Uh, won the three. You know, Tommy Frazier had a couple in there, and uh, uh, that's all, you know, the one that I can think of at the top of my head. Going way back, and I mean way back, but you'll remember uh, Rex Kern from Ohio State in the late 60s was, you know. Yeah. Many people believed they were going to win. They were unbeatable. That they right, were there right. for he was a sophomore, three in a row. That's right. When they won that first one in 68. Right. He was a sophomore. And then uh, gang of sophomores. I think it was like 10, 11 starters on the team were sophomores. That's exactly right. They were like the greatest team ever and uh, or perceived to be. And people thought Rex Kern was going to win 
as a quarterback, was going to win three in a row. And, of course, they got upset at the end of his junior year after winning something that sounds like, you know, 20 or so in a row by right. Michigan and Bo Schembechler. Famous, famous game. Still remember the guy who ran back the punts to beat them. That's how epic that game was. A guy named Barry Pearson oh. for Michigan. Ran him back. And uh, that, that you talk about an upset for the ages. That was, uh, that was an all-timer. Back then, because Ohio yeah, State. Yeah, that, that set up the Texas Arkansas game, John. Yes, it did. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. It opened the door for you know a, a change in the world of college football for uh, back then. But um, so wow, that's amazing about AJ McCarron. And what's interesting is that if I remember correctly, and you'll know better than me because you were there, AJ McCarron was fighting with uh, someone else for the starting job a couple of years ago. He was named the starter for, I believe, the second game of the season at Penn State, went into State College, won the game. You were there. You were a guest on the show on your ride to State College that day, I remember. Yes. And that was the day, in my mind, that A.J. McCarron, like, broke through. Is that correct? Is that your, uh, your Yeah, that, John, you, you um, uh, explained that perfectly because – at the time, it was Philip Sims. He was a top high school quarterback right. out of Virginia. Yep. Came to Alabama, and they were going back and forth in the spring in the first game. And uh, they, they really didn't perform all that well in the first game, actually. And they came up there to, to Penn State, 100,000-plus. A.J. threw some very nice passes, won the game, uh, going away, I believe. And then he was off from there. That's and it. He hasn't looked back since. Yes, yeah, so you talk about, you know, uh, twists of fate. I'm not in any way suggesting he didn't earn it. He did. But, you know, I'm guessing the margin for him being named the starter that day was razor thin. But he was named the starter. He obviously given the opportunity. And look what's happening. Now we're looking at this guy as potentially becoming the first college quarterback ever to win three national championships in a row. That's Stunning. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, he had the quietest 30-touchdown, three-interception year ever, I think, in college football last year. I mean, he, and he threw two of them in the A&M game. So that, that'll give you an idea of his performance last year. Uh, incredible. And, uh, he's, he's, and, and this year, John, believe it or not, they'll have the best group of receivers they've ever had at Alabama collectively. Oh, really? Yeah, and they got a tight end that came in. O.J. Howard, really athletic, six five, about two forty, can get down the seam in the middle. And with the way this tight end trend is is uh, happening in football, right? You know, I mean, there's another weapon he has. So, I mean, I don't know what kind of numbers he's going to put up, but he he seems to not make mistakes in giving the ball away, a la Mark Sanchez, let's say. Right there we so, go. If he can get the ball to the receiver, they're liable to catch it, and good things will happen for A.J. and the rest of the team. Wow. Well, no matter what, all credit to A.J. for winning two national championships in a row. There's not many of those guys out there either. No, no, and he last when they beat LSU the year before in the championship game, they put the whole game on his back, and they made him throw the ball 25 times in the first half, and that's what Trent Richardson in the backfield, and he was the most outstanding offensive player of that game. So that'll just give an indication of his, the level of performance he, he can provide to his team. Exactly. Well, we're at the end of the show. 
AP, thank you again for calling in. And don't forget this weekend, WNBA season gets underway with their new stars fresh out of college. Thank you all again for listening and have a great week, everyone. And we'll do it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week.